Chapter 4, An If and a But. So pick a bird, the water genie commanded, any bird. This was puzzling. The only bird around here is a wooden peacock, Haroon pointed out, reasonably enough. If gave a snort of disgust. A person may choose what he cannot see, he said, as if explaining something very obvious to a very foolish individual. A person may mention a bird's name even if the creature is not present and correct. Crow, quail, hummingbird, bulbul, mina, parrot, kite. A person may even select a flying creature of his own invention, for example, winged horse, flying turtle, airborne whale, space serpent, arrow mouse. To give a thing a name, a label, a handle, to rescue it from anonymity, to pluck it out of the place of namelessness, in short, to identify it. Well, that's a way of bringing the said thing into being. Or, in this case, the said bird or imaginary flying organism. That may be true where you come from, Haroon argued, but in these parts, stricter rules apply. In these parts, rejoined blue-bearded if, I am having my time wasted by a disconnector thief who will not trust in what he can't see. How much have you seen, eh, thieflet? Africa? Have you seen it? No? Then is it truly there? In submarines? Huh? Also, hailstones, baseballs, pagodas, gold mines, kangaroos, Mount Fujiyama, the North Pole? In the past, did it happen? In the future, will it come? Believe in your own eyes and you'll get into a lot of trouble. Hot water, a mess. Okay, so here's this, this idea again of just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Okay, really good. So let's move on. With that, he plunged his hand into a pocket of his aubergine pajamas. And when he brought it forth again, it was bunched into a fist. So take a look, or I should say, a gander at the enclosed. He opened his hand, and Haroon's eyes almost fell out of his head. Tiny birds were walking about on the water genie's palm and pecking at it and flapping their miniature wings to hover just above it. And as well as birds, they were fabulous winged creatures out of legends, an Assyrian lion with the head of a bearded man, and a pair of large hairy wings growing out of its flanks, and winged monkeys, flying saucers, tiny angels levitating, and apparently air-breathing fish. What's your pleasure? Select. Choose, if urged. And although it seemed obvious to Haroon that these magical creatures were so small that they couldn't possibly have carried so much as a bitten-off fingernail, he decided not to argue and pointed at a tiny crested bird that was giving him a sidelong look through one highly intelligent eye. So it's the hoopoe for us, the water genie said, sounding almost impressed. Perhaps you know, disconnector thief, that in the old stories the hoopoe is the bird that leads all of the birds through many dangerous places to their ultimate goal. Well, well. Who knows, young thieflet, who you may turn out to be, but no time for speculation now, he concluded, and with that, rushed to the window and hurled the tiny hoopoe out into the night. So here we go again with that idea that there's more to Haroon than meets the eye. What'd you do that for? Hissed Haroon, not wishing to wake his father, which if gave his wicked grin. A foolish notion, he said innocently. A fancy, a passing whim. Certainly not because I know more about such matters than you, dear me, no. Haroon ran to the window and saw the hoopoe floating on the dull lake, grown large as large as a double bed, easily large enough for a water genie and a boy to ride upon its back. And off we go, caroled if, much too loud for Haroon's liking. And then the water genie skipped up 
onto the windowsill and thence to the hoopoe's back, and Haroon, with scarcely a moment to reflect on the wisdom of what he was doing, and still wearing his long red nightshirt with the purple patches, and clutching the disconnecting tool firmly in his left hand, followed. As he settled down behind the water genie, the hoopoe turned its head to inspect him with a critical, but, Haroon hoped, friendly eye. Then they took off and flew rapidly into the sky. The force of their acceleration pushed Haroon deep into the comfortable, thick, and somehow hairy feathers on the hoopoe's back. Feathers that seemed to gather around Haroon and protect him during the flight. He took a few moments to digest the large number of amazing things that had taken place in quick time. Soon they were traveling so quickly that the earth below them and the sky above them both dissolved into a blur, which gave Haroon the feeling that they weren't moving at all, but simply floating in that impossible, blurry space. When the mail coach driver, Butt, was rocketing up the mountains of M, I had the same sense of floating, he recalled. Come to think of it, this hoopoe with its crest of feathers reminds me quite a bit of old Butt with his quiff of hair standing straight up on his head. And if Butt's whiskers were somehow feathery, then this hoopoe's feathers, as I noticed the moment we took off, have a distinctly hairy feel. Their speed increased again and Haroon shouted into If's ear, No bird can fly so fast. Is this a machine? The hoopoe fixed him with its glittering eye. You maybe have some objection to machines, it inquired in a loud, booming voice that was identical in every respect to the mail coach drivers, and at once it went on, but, 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 you have entrusted your life to me. Then am I not worthy of a little of your respect? Machines also have their sense of self-esteem. No need to gop like that, young sir. I can't help it if I remind you of someone. At least, being a driver, he's a fellow who feels fond of a good, fast travel machine. Okay, so ever since really uh, the water genie was showing Haroon those little birds and creatures in his hand, I felt like this is a bit of a dream sequence, and I'm wondering if I should just go along for the ride here or be researching and digging in and looking up so what some of these illusions might mean. Well, I think that since Haroon himself is going into a new land that he can't make sense of himself, it sounds to me like you are responding to the book the same way that Haroon is responding to the situation that he's in currently. It's a confusing, upside-down type of world, and I think that you're right to be questioning it. Is it a dream? Is it real? Those are the questions Haroon's probably asking himself. Yeah. So So what do you want to do? I want to read on and see where Haroon takes me next. Oh, I love that positive attitude. Let's go. You can read my mind, Haroon said. You can read my mind, Haroon said, somewhat accusingly, because it wasn't entirely a pleasant feeling to have one's private ruminations begged by a mechanical bird. But, but, but certainly, answered the hoopoe. Also, I am communicating with you telepathically, because, as you may observe, I am not moving my beak which must maintain its present configuration for aerodynamic reasons. How are you doing that? demanded Haroon. And back came the inevitable answer, quick as a flash of thought. By a P2C2E, a process too complicated to explain. I give up, said Haroon. Anyhow, do you have a name? Whatever name you please, replied the bird. Might I suggest for obvious reasons, but... So it was that Harun Khalifa, the storyteller's son, soared into the night sky on the back of Butt the Hoopoe with If the Water Genie as his guide. The sun rose, and after a time, Harun spotted something in the distance, a heavenly body, like a large asteroid. That is Kahani, the Earth's second moon, said Butt the Hoopoe without moving its beak. But, 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 
Harun stammered, much to the hoopoe's amusement. Surely the Earth has just one moon. How could a second satellite have remained undiscovered for so long? But, 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 it is because of speed. But the hoopoe responded, speed most necessary of qualities. In any emergency, fire, auto, marine, what is required above all things? Of course, speed. Of fire truck, ambulance, rescue ship. And what do we prize in a brainy fellow? Is it not his quickness of thought? And in any sport, speed of foot, hand, eye is of the essence. And what humans cannot do quickly enough, they build machines to do faster. Speed, super speed. If not for the speed of light, the universe would be dark and cold. But if speed brings light to reveal, it can also be used to conceal. The moon, Kahani, travels so fast, wonder of wonders, that no Earth instruments can detect it. Also, its orbit varies by one degree per circuit, so that in 360 orbits, it has overflown every spot upon the Earth. Variety of behavior assists in evasion of detection, but also there are serious purposes for the variation of orbit. Story water facilities must be provided across the entire planet with an even hand. Voom, varoom! Only at high speed may this be done. You appreciate the further bonuses of machines? Then, is the moon Kahani driven by mechanical means? Harun asked. But Butt had turned its attention to practical matters. Moon approaching, it said without moving its beak. Relative speed synchronized. Landing procedures initiated. Splashdown in 30 seconds. 29. 28. Rushing up toward them was a sparkling and seemingly infinite expanse of water. The surface of Kahani appeared, as far as Harun's eye could see, to be entirely liquid. And what water it was! It shone with colors everywhere, colors in a brilliant riot, colors such as Harun could never have imagined. And it was evidently a warm ocean. Harun could see steam rising off it, steam that glowed in the sunlight. He caught his breath. The ocean of the streams of story, said If the water genie, his blue whiskers bristling with pride. Wasn't it worth traveling so far and so fast to see? Three, said But the Hoopo without moving its beak. Two, one, zero. Miss Archibald, I can literally see the question marks hovering over your head. Is everything okay? I don't know, Mr. Doyle. I got a little bit lost with all of this, but I was never that great in astronomy. The specifics of all of this technical talk, you are not responsible for. Do not worry about being able to explain to people why you can't see the second moon. All of this information shakes down to this. Earth has a second moon. It's called Kahani. It moves so quick that nobody can see it. And for the purposes of this story, this this fairy tale type of story, we just accept it and uh, and let's not get too bogged down by it. And we'll move on and just try to enjoy the story. Well, why didn't he say that in the first place? I think he does say it later. So <laughs> let's, let's be on the lookout. Okay. All right. Water, water everywhere, nor any trace of land. It's a trick, cried Haroon. There's no Gup City here, unless I'm much mistaken. And no Gup City equals no P2C2E house, no walrus, no point in being here at all. Hold your horses, said the water genie. Cool down, don't blow your top, keep your hair on. Explanations are in order and are forthcoming, if you will only permit. But this is the middle of nowhere, Haroon went on. What do you expect me to do out here? To be precise, this is the deep north of Kahani, the water genie replied. And what is available to us here is a shortcut, avoidance of bureaucratic procedures, a means of cutting the red tape. 
also, if I must truthfully admit, a means of solving our little difficulty without admitting to guppy authorities my little mistake, my loss of disconnecting tool and subsequent blackmail by its pincher. We are here in search of wishwater. Look for patches of the ocean that shine with extra brightness, but the hoopoe added. That's wishwater. Use it properly, and you can make your desires come true. So persons and gup need never be directly involved, if went on. When your wish is granted, you can return the tool, and home you go to bed, and end of saga, okay? Oh, very well, Harun agreed somewhat doubtfully. And it should be said with a little regret, because he had been looking forward to seeing Gup City and learning more about the mysterious processes too complicated to explain. Tip-top type, cried If, in great relief. Good sport. Prince among men. Popular choice. And hey, presto, wishwater ahoy. But paddled carefully toward the patch of brightness at which If was eagerly pointing, and came to a halt by its edge. The wishwater gave off so dazzling a light that Harun had to avert his gaze. Now If the water genie reached inside his little gold-embroidered waistcoat and pulled out a small bottle made of many-faceted crystal with a little golden cap. Swiftly unscrewing the cap, he drew the bottle through the bright water, whose glow was golden too, and fastening the lid once more, he passed the bottle carefully to Harun. On your marks, be prepared. Here goes, he said. This is what you must do. This was the secret of the wish water. The harder you wished, the better it worked. So it's up to you, If said. No fooling around. Get down to it, good and proper. Do serious business and the wish water will do serious business for you. And bingo, your heart's desire will be as good as yours. Harun sat astride but the hoopoe and stared at the bottle in his hand. Just one sip, and he could regain for his father the lost gift of gab. Down the hatch, he cried courageously, unscrewed the cap, and took a goodly gulp. Now the golden glow was all around him, and inside him too, and everything was very, very still, as if the entire cosmos were waiting upon his commands. He began to focus his thoughts. He couldn't do it. If he tried to concentrate on his father's lost storytelling powers and his cancelled story water subscription, then the image of his mother insisted on taking over, and he began to wish for her return instead, for everything to be as it had been before. And then his father's face returned, pleading with him, Just do this one thing for me, my boy. Just this one little thing. And then it was his mother again, and he didn't know what to think, what to wish. Until, with a jangling noise like the breaking of a thousand and one violin strings, the golden glow disappeared and he was back with If and the Hoopoe on the surface of the Sea of Stories. Eleven minutes, said the water genie contemptuously. Just eleven minutes and his concentration goes. Kabam, kablooey, kaput. Haroon was filled with the shame of it and hung his head. But, 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 this is disgraceful, If, said But the Hoopoe without moving its beak. Wishes are not such easy things, as you well know. You, Mr. Water Genie, are upset because of your own error, because now we must go to Gup City after all, and there will be harsh words and hot water for you, and you are taking it out on the boy. Stop it. Stop it, or I'll be annoyed. Truly, this was a most passionate, even excitable sort of machine, Harun thought in spite of his unhappiness. Machines were supposed to be ultra-rational, but this bird could be genuinely temperamental. If looked at the red blush of humiliation that was all over Harun's face and softened somewhat. Gup City it is, he agreed. Unless, of course, he'd like to hand over the disconnecting tool and just call the whole thing off. Harun shook his head miserably. But, 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 you are still bullying the boy. But the hoopoe expostulated furiously without moving its beak. Change of plan, please, right away. Cheering up procedures to be instituted at once. Give the lad a happy story to drink. 
Not another drink, said Haroon in a low, small voice. What are you going to make me fail at now? I love the idea that there's this water that you can drink that will grant your wishes for you. And I think that's a fun twist on the Arabian Nights story about Aladdin and the magical lamp. Yeah, but the wish water is really only helpful if you can actually make that wish. And when Haroon has the opportunity to make the wish, he tries, but he's really seems conflicted to me, uh, and he can't pull it off. I know. And then 11 minutes tick by, and you know our boy in 11 minutes. Boom. Once 11 minutes comes up, the guy is toast, and he's kind of like me when I'm trying to do membean. Done. Peace and out. I mean, Doyle, would you ever pass up the chance to make a wish? No. God. But you know what? If you only have, if I only had one sip of wish water, it would take me a long time to, to decide which one. So I, you don't have one on the top of, like on the tip of your tongue, a wish you're ready to make right now? No. No. I don't. I don't have one. No. Because I want too much. I'm like the, I am like the, you know, ultimate guy who wants everything in the world. And if you give me one chance, but I'm going to first, I will wish for more wish water. Oh, that's so, that is so, that's what everybody used yeah, to say in third grade. Exactly. And that is me, you know, because I'd be too, I'd be too nervous that I'd, I'd wish the wrong thing. Mm, all right. I'm going to think about that. And now that you're saying that, I'm not sure I could nail down what my wish would be either. Yeah. All right. Easier said than done. I can relate to Haroon here. Okay. So if the water genie told Haroon about the ocean of the streams of stories, and even though he was full of a sense of hopelessness and failure, the magic of the ocean began to have an effect on Haroon. He looked into the water and saw that it was made up of a thousand, thousand, thousand and one different currents, each one a different color, weaving in and out of one another like a liquid tapestry of breathtaking complexity. And if explained that these were the streams of story, that each colored strand represented and contained a single tale. Different parts of the ocean contained different sorts of stories, and as all the stories that had ever been told and many that were still in the process of being invented could be found here, the ocean of the streams of story was, in fact, the biggest library in the universe. And because the stories were held here in fluid form, they retained the ability to change, to become new versions of themselves, to join up with other stories and so become yet other stories. So that, unlike a library of books, the ocean of the streams of story was much more than a storeroom of yarns. It was not dead, but alive. And if you are very, very careful, or very, very highly skilled, you can dip a cup into the ocean, if told Haroon. Like so. And here he produced a little golden cup from another of his waistcoat pockets. And you can fill it with water from a single pure stream of story, like so. As he did precisely that and you can offer it to a young fellow who's feeling blue so that the magic of the story can restore his spirits. Go on now. Knock it back. Have a swig. Do yourself a favor, if concluded. Guaranteed to make you feel A number one. Haroon, without saying a word, took the golden cup and drank. He found himself standing in a landscape that looked exactly like a giant chessboard. On every black square there was a monster. There were two-tongued snakes and lions with three rows of teeth and four-headed dogs and five-headed demon kings and so on. He was, so to speak, looking out through the eyes of the young hero of the story. It was like being in the passenger seat of an automobile. All he had to do was watch, while the hero dispatched one monster after another and advanced up the chessboard toward the white stone tower at the end. At the top of the tower was, what else but, a single window, out of which there gazed, who else but, a captive princess. 
What Harun was experiencing, though he didn't know it, was Princess Rescue Story number S-1001-ZHT-420-41RXI. And because the princess in this particular story had recently had a haircut and therefore had no long tresses to let down, unlike the heroine of Princess Rescue Story G-1001-RIM-777-MWI, better known as Rapunzel, Harun, as the hero, was required to climb up the outside of the tower by clinging to the cracks between the stones with his bare hands and feet. He was halfway up the tower when he noticed one of his hands beginning to change, becoming hairy, losing its human shape. Then his arms burst out of his shirt, and they too had grown hairy and impossibly long, and had joints in the wrong places. He looked down and saw the same thing happening to his legs. When new limbs began to push themselves out of his sides, he understood that he was somehow turning into a monster just like those he had been killing. And above him, the princess caught at her throat and cried out in a faint voice, Eek, my dearest, you have into a large spider turned. As a spider, he was able to make rapid progress to the top of the tower. But when he reached the window, the princess produced a large kitchen knife and began to hack and saw at his limbs, crying rhythmically, Get away, spider! Go back home! And he felt his grip on the stones of the tower grow looser. And then she managed to chop right through the arm nearest her, and he fell. Wake up! Snap out of it! Let's have you! He heard If anxiously calling. He opened his eyes to find himself lying full length on the back of Butt the Hoopo. If was sitting beside him, looking extremely worried and more than a little disappointed that Harun had somehow managed to keep a firm grip on the disconnecting tool. What happened? If asked. He saved the princess and walked off into the sunset as specified, I presume. But then, why all this moaning and groaning and turning and churning? Don't you like princess rescue stories? Harun recounted what had happened to him in the story, and both If and But became very serious indeed. I can't believe it, If finally said. It's a definite first, without parallel, never in all my born days. I'm almost glad to hear it, said Harun, because I was thinking that wasn't the most brilliant way to cheer me up. It's pollution, said the water genie gravely. Don't you understand? Something, or somebody, has been putting filth into the ocean, and obviously if filth gets into the stories, they go wrong. Hoopo, I've been away on my rounds too long. If there are traces of this pollution right up here in the deep north, things at Gup City must be close to crisis. Quick, quick, top speed ahead. This could mean war. Okay. All right. So the... the <laughs> All right. Anyway. The, the wish water turns out to be a disaster. He can't make his wish. And so to make him feel better, if offers him this princess rescue story... Number S-1001, whatever. Yeah, but he can't pull that off either. He turns into a spider when he's climbing up the to rescue her. You say that he can't pull it off. I don't think this is his fault, though. I think he's given mm. the, the story water, and it's supposed to be a self-contained story that has like a beginning, middle, and end. He was expecting to climb up the tower and rescue the princess, but it turns out that the water that he drank had been poisoned. Mm. So where... The water genie thought he was helping, he wasn't helping. Right, right. And this now introduces a whole new problem for these characters because the story water is is kind of like what makes this magical world of these like fantastic characters. That's what makes their world go round. If their stories are corrupted, then like their existence is threatened. Mm. So now Harun, in order to rescue these new characters and friends 
and at the same time save his father's storytelling ability is going to have to help solve the pollution problem of the story waters. And if the stories are polluted, that means somebody is polluting the water that makes the stories. That's right. That's right. I wonder if they're going to tell us that right here where it says, War with whom? Haroon wanted to know. I bet they will. What do you think they'll say? Read on, Doyle. You got it. War with whom? Haroon wanted to know. If Imbut shivered with something very like fear, with the land of Chup on the dark side of Kahani, but the hoopo answered without moving its beak. This looks like the doing of the leader of the Chupwallas, the cult master of Bezabon. And who's that? Haroon persevered, beginning to wish he'd stayed in his peacock bed instead of getting muddled up with water genies and disconnecting tools and talking mechanical hoopos and story oceans in the sky. His name, whispered the water genie, and the sky darkened for an instant as he spoke it, is Katam Shud. Far away on the horizon, forked lightning glittered once. Haroon felt his blood run cold. And there we go. Another chapter down, and we are up to our HLC takeaways. This is my favorite part. I know it is, Arch. I know it is. And you always bring your A game when it comes to these takeaways. What do you have for takeaway number one? Okay, takeaway number one has got to be around this Katam Shud, that idea that was just revealed at the end of the chapter, that there wa- that the, that Katam Shud is the idea that things are finished and done and over. We've heard that reference before in the story, but now it seems like it's taken on sort of a personality in this big, bad, uh, to be feared character who's the leader of the Chapwalas. Uh, he is catching the blame for polluting the the story water and therefore he must be stopped. Okay, good. So our second takeaway, that wishwater scene was a was a reminder to me that even though Haroon has grown so much as a character even over the over the first four chapters of the book, there's that reminder there after 11 minutes comes and goes that he can't concentrate for longer than that and He's still vulnerable, and he's still really going to need help if he hopes to accomplish all of his goals on this journey. Yeah. Okay. Wishing his way isn't going to make it happen for him, apparently. All right. And so for the third and last takeaway for this chapter, I think, and you called me out on some of my confusion, Doyle, and that's okay, is that this magical realism has kind of hit a saturation point. It's been a little overwhelming um, to follow along and decide what's real and make believe and keep everything in order. But I think from now on, we kind of know what's going on. And and they've set a really great, uh, Rushdie has set a really great stage for the rest of the story. Yeah. And and I understand any of that confusion, because I feel the same. I feel the same way about it too. It is, it it is dreamlike. Like you mentioned the word dreamlike a, a bunch mm-hmm. of times, and I would agree with that. But to me, that's an author setting rules for the story that he that he wants to tell. And now, I think that we're at a point where moving forward, we'll just get to like sit back and enjoy the story. The C stage is set. Yeah, buddy. So. Incredible job as always, Miss Arch. A plus for the day. Couldn't do it without you, Doisky. Hey, hey. and um, I want to give a shout out to our uh, to our newest Patreon member. Um, you know, I'm just kidding. We don't have Patreons. This is school. No bribes. You all need to put the work in. You will be graded on your merit. Peace. See you next chapter.